Hey, beautiful beans of the land. Um, welcome to today's episode. This episode is kind of like a part two, semi-slightly related to the last episode that came out, but kind of not at all. And it's basically, that didn't really help at all with the, the, the topic that I'm trying to express. But basically, this episode is about how to walk away from a situation, mainly a relationship where someone thinks the worst of you. I think so many of us get caught up in staying because we don't want to leave on such bad terms, even though the relationship is probably not worth staying for, or you don't really, you're not flourishing in this relationship. This could also be with a friend. A lot of these things that I say today can also be applied for kind of really um, dominating or toxic friends, but it is primarily based around relationships here. That's kind of the theme, but you can apply it to whatever you see fit in your life. That's what the topic of today is going to be about. There's some juicy content in there. um, And I hope that it's going to be helpful for a bunch of people um, because I, I personally desperately needed this kind of information that I've learnt through my time. I would have needed this probably twice in my life in two particular relationships that I can think about. And I would have walked away and left so much earlier. I would have saved myself drama. I would have saved myself time. I would have saved myself tears and um, and just stress and fucking around with an idiot, basically. Anyway, so that's basically the topic of today's uh, podcast. Bit of an update. I will be um, well, by the time this goes out, I, I would have registered for it, but I am running uh, the half marathon, the Sydney fucking half marathon, and that is the official name of it, I wish. It is on the 15th of May, so I have about three months to get my shit together, and I have not been running consistently for a very long time. I've gone for runs here and there. If you do follow me on Instagram at Alexis Predes, go follow. It's just a good time there. Um, you will see that I do occasionally um, dabble in some running, but of late, I have absolutely not been consistent. I'll do like a run every, sometimes it'll be three times in a week and then nothing for two months kind of thing. It's just, it's not it's not ideal if you're wanting to run long distances. I acknowledge that. But I used to run a lot. And when I say a lot, I don't mean well, but it was a lot. Quantity over quality for sure. And I did at one point, uh, it was 2016, and I ran the half marathon. It was the first and last time that I ever ran a half marathon. And I'd only ever ran like, I think, 12 ca- no. 14Ks. I did the the fucking city to surf. That was intense. Um, And I crossed the finish line and I called my mum and I burst out crying. And I wasn't remotely sad. It was just pure happiness, but I think it was just extreme exhaustion. And I'm not a runner. I always just do weights in the gym and just, anyway, you could just imagine. I was just so excited, so overwhelmed. And I'm trying to explain to my mum that I'm just purely happy. And I just could not stop crying. It's just a very weird experience. I've I'd never experienced that before and yet to experience that again. But anyway, we're probably going to have a rerun of that. So if my mum is listening, be prepared for tears of joy when I cross the finish line. So I'm very excited to be doing this. It's 21.1 kilometres and yeah, I thought I'd just talk about it here so I can update you on my progress as I go. And my only goal is, and this was my goal last time, is I just want to run the whole thing. I didn't have a time limit in mind. I didn't have any of that. I just wanted to do the whole thing running. And because it's been like six years since then, my goal is going to be the same. I'm not going to try and beat the time that I made in 2016 because I couldn't even tell you what that was. I don't remember. But also it's just been so long that I'm ready to kind of set that as my goal again. And I just want to run the whole thing without breaks. So stay tuned for that adventure. Also, 
I am feeling fucking good because I just, this morning, I feel, you can probably tell my energy is like peaking right now in, as I say this, as I talk through this episode, but I, the last two weeks with this move and with getting all my shit together and with, there's so many things kind of, all these balls in the air, but as of the last couple of days, it's starting to kind of settle in a really good way where I've still got a lot of things on, but I'm a lot more organized. And this morning I finally got back to my morning workouts, which I need to, like I had done about two weeks of not doing that. And it is incredible how a weight session and a sauna just transform your mood. Like I'm a generally happy person, but I get overwhelmed by midday, I'm already a bit overwhelmed with everything and it's currently midday and I'm recording this and I'm feeling so good, so much clarity in the mind. Weights and sauna, that is a combo that will just just cure so many things in your life. Okay, cool. So let's get into the topic of today. Oh, before we do that, of course, I have a brain fact. Now, this brain fact is about a syndrome. I find it so interesting, this syndrome. It's not a pharmacology fact and it is Capgras syndrome. It's quite a rare phenomenon. It's a rare syndrome, also known as Capgras delusion, and it's named after the person that discovered it. Um, his surname was Capgras, C-A-P-G-R-A-S, or Capgra probably is how it was pronounced. Um, and basically what this syndrome is, it's so fucking interesting. It's where your brain, where the patient's brain tricks them into believing that someone who's close to them, it could be their child, their spouse, sibling, parent, that that person is an imposter, right? So they acknowledge, I know you look exactly the same way, you sound exactly like them, you wear their clothes like you're like a dead ringer, but you're not that person. No matter how much that person says, yes, but we've done this together, they tell you all this information to confirm that that would be the person. You just say, no, you've either been possessed by someone or whatever, but you are not my mother. You are not my child, okay? So this idea that that person is just an identical imposter. And this normally happens with, it could be, this could occur with a form of dementia called Lewy body dementia. It happens in certain cases of schizophrenia as well, not all cases, but also with tumors or brain injuries as well. And what happens when you, and this is kind of what's going on, the mechanism with the brain. When you see a stimulus, when you see a person, you there's a whole cascade of events that occurs in your brain. So the signal first gets sent to the right to the back of your brain, which is occipital lobe, occipital lobe it's called, and that is takes up pretty much more than a quarter of your brain and it's all taking care of vision. You need a huge amount of of brain mass that takes care of vision because it's such a complex um, task for the brain to do. So it gets processed in the occipital lobe, in certain areas of the occipital lobe, and then anything to do with the face then, then gets relayed to a part of the brain called the fusiform gyrus. And this gyrus is tucked away behind the temporal lobe. If you imagine kind of a picture of a brain, imagine the side of the brain those bits that are kind of kind of where your ear would be, that's a lobe, they're called the temporal lobe, and it's kind of inside that lobe, tucked in, it's not on the surface of the brain, it's called the fusiform gyrus, and there's a particular area um, in that fusiform gyrus, and it's called, it's known as the fusiform face area, because it is activated, and it's the place that kind of lights up, if you were scanning it, when the person is recognizing a face, okay? If that area were to become damaged, you wouldn't recognize faces at all. You wouldn't have the ability to recognize a face. And there is a, a, 
disorder called prosopagnosia, which I may or may not have spoken about before. And that's your inability to recognize faces that you know, or that you don't just recognize faces in general. I honestly think I fall on the spectrum of prosopagnosia, but that's for another day. But if, yeah, so if that area was damaged, you would have something like prosopagnosia or something related to that, okay? But this is not the problem in this scenario. You recognize the face, but you just think that the person is not there. It's like, I know who you are. You're identical to my mum. You're just not my mum, right? And additionally to this, this patient might be normal, quote unquote, in every other area. They're they're behaving normally and everything else that they're doing. There's no other symptoms apart from this one thing where they just do not, like they think it's an imposter, okay? Um, And this often, unless of course they've got the Lewy body dementia or schizophrenia, this is probably because of some sort of a brain injury. So now we're looking at this part of the brain, the fusiform gyrus, that face area that's lit up. Then what happens is the fusiform gyrus, that the face area sends signals to the amygdala, And the amygdala is kind of the emotion center of the brain. The amygdala will decide how you are going to react to this stimulus, okay? Because not just the fusiform gyrus is sending these signals. You've also got all the other vision areas of the occipital lobe sending signals to the amygdala. So that way it says, oh, this is a safe thing. This is something I love. This is something that makes me laugh. This is... um, this is something to be scared of. Should I run? This is a threat. Okay, so it, it needs to be sent to the emotion center so you can process. Is it neutral? Is it negative? Or is it warm, fuzzy, loving kind of emotion that I feel towards this? Now, think about when you look at a table where there's kind of no emotion involved, like if it's just some you know arbitrary table, versus when you look at your partner or when you look at your child or your sister, okay? there's a difference there. One is loaded with ideally good emotions or negative, and then one is just neutral. There's no, no kind of real emotions that's going on. And your amygdala then sends signals based on whether it's positive or negative, but if there is emotion behind it, it's sending signals to your automatic nervous system and you're going to have a visceral response. Um, it could be through like your heart rate goes up a little bit. It could be some sort of excitement. It could be your pulse increases. You might have sweating on your palms. Even if you don't feel it, it's minor, but there is some sort of a visceral physical response when you have an emotional response to a visual stimulus, okay? So what is happening here is that the fusiform gyrus is intact, the occipital lobe is intact, the amygdala is intact, but the pathway between the fusiform gyrus and, well, well, in particular, the face area of the fusiform gyrus and the amygdala has been damaged. It's either ruined or it's it's been damaged enough that that signal is just not strong enough. So because this occurs normally after a brain injury, some sort of like blow to the head or whatever, or a tumor, because this occurs, the patient all of a sudden sees somebody that they used to have some sort of an emotional response to and feels nothing. Like they don't feel anything. They don't get a trigger of emotions or memories with this person. They feel nothing. So they're like, how do you look identical to my sister, but I feel nothing here, so you must not be her. And it's a very kind of intuitive thing. They haven't really analyzed it or thought about it logically, but they're like, I feel nothing towards you, but I know I should, so you must be an imposter. That's kind of what's going down. That's kind of how the brain is analyzing this really confusing situation for them. And really interestingly, 
Um, and I heard this through this, his name is V.S. Ramachandran. He's a brilliant behavioral neurologist slash neuroscientist. Go look him up. He's fucking just, oh, love him. Anyway, he explains that in these cases, if you then get that same patient to speak to that same person, let's say like they, they saw their sister, for example, and they're like, no, nope, you're an imposter, whatever. Then you get them to speak to their sister on the phone. And they're like, oh, hey, how's it going? And instantly the voice, they get all this emotion towards it. They know it's their sister. They don't think that the voice is an imposter. As long as they're not seeing that person, then they immediately know, yep, I'm talking to you. I know who you are. I know that you are you. Because the parts of the brain that are dealing with with the like the auditory parts of the brain that are sending that signal to the amygdala are working on a different pathway, different brain area altogether to visual. And the visual is always going to override any other sense because it is such a strong sense. And that's probably, and when you're seeing someone, despite the fact that they're talking to you, the vision is overriding it. So you're still going to be like, you, you sound like them, but no. But the moment you take the vision away, the moment it's just on the phone, you then recognize them as being who they are in reality. You no longer think that they're an imposter. Because that link between the hearing center and the amygdala is intact, right? So you're only the delusion does not occur when it's voice only. Um, but when they see the face, they notice they have no emotion, and the normal emotions that they would have had with this person are gone, and that's why they feel that it's um, an imposter. So now, what do you do if you have this? Because it's fucking hectic. You firstly, you need to be diagnosed by a psych psychiatric evaluation by a psychiatrist, and then there are different ways of treating the cause. There are certain kind of antipsychotic medications, but that's more along the lines of someone who's um, got the Lewy body dementia or someone who has schizophrenia. But then you can do – because it was originally considered to be just psychi psychiatric, but now they realise that it is neurological as well. So they could then, of course, go in and do some scans. There might be some brain damage. There might be things that can be done. If there's a lesion, there might be exercises that can be done. Or if it's a tumour, of course, that tumour can be removed. So there's certain things that can be done and you can treat it, or it could be inflammation. So there's things that can be done if they can understand the neurological, um, uh, anatomical kind of basis of what's going on and if there is a lesion or, or a tumour or swelling or something that's causing this. Otherwise, it could be due to, of course, um, schizophrenia or something like that as well. But I just thought that that was a really, really interesting brain fact and thought I'd share that. I love these love these weird and interesting phenomena or phenomenon or whatever it's called. Love them. Okay, let's get into the topic of today, which is walking away when someone thinks the worst of you. Ugh. It's a dreaded feeling, but I'm going to make you feel a whole lot better about it by the end of this episode. So when people think the worst of you, and I'm going to use dating as the example for today's episode, but like I said, apply it to whatever you want. When your partner thinks the worst of you, you're dating someone and they turn around and they're just saying like, you're the selfish one. What do you ever do for me? You never do this. Especially if you're on the brink of a breakup, right? But they're like, bang, 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 coming in thick and fast with all these accusations. You kind of feel like, well, I can't fucking break up with them now because if I leave now when I'm now aware that they think the worst of me, then they're going to walk away and have these horrible thoughts of me, probably spread all this wrong information about me and you just feel so insecure, you feel so down on yourself, so you kind of struggle to make them think better of you and you're likely to stay longer in a situation or a relationship that's not serving you until they feel that you're a good person, right? So – People are going to think the worst of you in 
you've got two options here. One, you've either done something fucking wrong, and I'm going to address that later on, what to do in that scenario, or they're going to think the worst of you because they're using this as a manipulation tactic. This is very typical in a toxic relationship. Us as humans, we we one thing that we value so much is our image and not just the image of our appearance, but what people think of us as a person. We all want to be viewed in a certain way. We have ideas that we want people to think of us as, whether we're reliable, um, trustworthy, generous, kind, loving, warm, all these things that a lot of people, like you've got, you've got your own list in your head, but you've got an idea of who you think you are and you've also got an idea which might match closely of what you want people to perceive you as. And ideally for most people it's close to what they think they are, right? And this is very much ingrained in us because it is – a way of survival, you know, it is important to care that people like us and it's not not, not in a superficial way but in uh, can I sustain a relationship, can I stay as part of this community kind of way. It gets down to like back back in the day when we were all, you know, in, in tribes and whatever in order to survive, you had to fit into the group in a way that was beneficial for both parties, for yourself and for the people that you were dealing with, you know, to, in, other, in order to – reproduce or whatever the worst thing that could be done is to be exiled or cancelled or isolated that's one of the hardest things someone can go through emotionally is to be fully abandoned or isolated or completely rejected right we'd rather go through so much other kinds of pain before we get to that point you know we do this to such an extent that we often will cling to have people think that we are good and nice and place that above our own sanity, our own peace of mind, our own mental health. As long as you're in a position where people think good of you, I'd rather that than do what's right for me or do what's, what's true to me and risk them no longer holding that image or that idea of who I am. So you actually end up suffering in the long term in a lot of cases, in particular in toxic relationships. And bullies and narcissists and toxic people in general, they understand this and they understand it very, very well. And they will use this against you. And they're going to use it as a way of making you stay or making you do things that are against what you would want to do or against what you would normally do. And it's, it's a very, very strong manipulation tactic. How many times have you found yourself in a position where you almost want the relationship to end, but the the culmination of the relationship is culminating in this big fight and they're now accusing you of all this stuff. Like I used to fight to stay in a relationship because it – how fucked is this? Because it wasn't ending on the terms that I wanted it to end on. So deep down I knew that it wasn't a relationship that was going to last. It was an unhealthy relationship. But I thought if it ends in this way, then they're going to be – wrong about who I am and I can't handle that. I can't handle the fact that they're accusing me of being selfish or never putting any effort into the relationship or never caring or never factoring them in or what all these accusations. And I was just like, well, I can't have this ending and you thinking that about me and then you sharing this to everyone else, all our mutual friends to everyone, that the reason we ended is because I'm all these horrible things. So I would then fight to mend it and then hope as delusional as this is, I would then hope that it would end in a better way. Like how fucking, where's the logic in that? Fucking riddle me that. But anyway, that's kind of what I would do. And I think a lot of people have done that. It's it's this idea of when they say to you, um, I thought you were someone else. 
you know, who do you think you are? Um, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that you've turned out to be that way. That really kind of toxic accusation that makes you feel really unsteady and insecure about who you were in the relationship and, and how and how you were. So you're going to scramble because you don't want to be rejected or, or cancelled or whatever. You're going to scramble to have them think good of you, being like, no, 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 and you try and explain yourself. No, I wasn't selfish. This is what I was doing. I wasn't this. You're going crazy explaining yourself to someone who doesn't want to hear it because they don't want to know the truth. They probably know the truth that you're actually not that bad or that you haven't done all these terrible things but it serves them to have you believe that because it's going to make you crawl back to them it's going to put them in a position of power in a position of dominance and in a position of control if you're the one scrambling to get them to have a positive opinion of you because what are you going to do you're going to a try and be everything they want you to be so you can can hold up that image or b you're going to constantly be fighting for the relationship and they just can sit on their ass, accuse, 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 while you're there fighting, fighting, working, working, working for this thing to work so they don't think bad things of you. This is a fucking trap, guys. This is a trap. And most people, most people can't handle people thinking that they did something wrong, okay? this They're going to battle with this at the cost of their own mental health. If you're in a friend group and someone's trying to out you out of the friend group and get you out, they're going to use this tactic so that way they can be the dominant one and you're there being like the submissive one trying to, you know, get them to like you. So then you're not being yourself. You're just being this person that you're like, what can I do so you like me? What can I do so you think highly of me? So you think I'm generous. So you think this, all of that, okay? I genuinely believe Separate, separate comment aside, that you should never, ever, ever, ever fight to stay with somebody who is wanting to walk away or threatening to walk away. Never. I'm all for fighting for a relationship when both people are fighting for it, where both people are saying, look, I really want to make this work. What's going on? Should we go to therapy? Should we do this? Should we do hundred percent? I'm all for fighting for a relationship if it's, if it's two people equally meeting in the middle for that relationship. In fact, I applaud that. But if you've got one person who's like, nah, 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 you're this, you're that, you're that, you should walk the fuck away. Walk away and disappear into the fucking darkness because so many layers to what's going on there. But the one thing you need to realize is that that person, whether they're toxic or whether they're not toxic, a lot of the time they're not toxic, that person has chosen to walk away and you need to leave it. If it it resurrects in the future, that's a different story. But I'm talking about never fight for something or someone if they're not willing to come to the table and join you in that fight. Okay, so now you've got someone that's thinking the worst of you and you know it's not a healthy relationship. You know that you'd be better off without them. Why do we struggle to leave even even though we know it's bad to stay? It's because we have this fear of being hated by someone that you care for or someone that you love. It's a fear that wrong information is going to be spread around to others and your own friends and your own family. It's a fear of being judged by others as to how did this thing break down? What what happened? Was it you? Was it these accusations? It's a fear that people are going to believe the wrong thing about you and then you're going to be rejected or abandoned or hated, okay? And people that have a form of social anxiety or a history of being bullied or rejected – are going to dread or avoid this at all costs. So it's going to be so much worse for these people that already have a history of this. They're going to cling to people so much more, even when it's so unhealthy to do so. And it's going to cost you and cause you to become a fucking wet blanket in this situation where a spine is what you need to walk away, right? 
Now let's talk about the the scenario where you actually have done something bad. They're thinking the worst of you because you actually earned that and you've done something bad for them to think that way. That's not really irrational if you've caused it, if you know what I mean. Like you've actually gone and done something horrible. And in that scenario, it is black and white. You also acknowledge what they're saying. If that is the case, this is slightly different and kind of not what I'm talking about. But if that is the case, this is a direct consequence of your action. You can either apologize and try to mend it or not, but you did do that action. You have acknowledged your role in this and you accept the consequences, okay? Now, then there's the possibility that there's a gray area, such as these accusations where they accuse you of not doing as much for them as what they do for you. You know, it's typical in these relationships where where certain people, toxic people, will think that they're pulling all the weight. And it's a delusion, but they might believe that they're doing everything in the relationship and they just don't see what you've brought to the table and they refuse to acknowledge it. So they have this image of themselves and a much lower image of you. Then there's that scenario where it's very great because it's my word against yours kind of situation. That's kind of what we're talking about here. When someone thinks badly of you in that scenario, there's you've got three options. One, try and explain yourself if given the chance. And in a lot of situations, you're not going to get given that chance. I'll go into that. Two, change something about you to have that person soften their view about you. Basically, do something that will get them to like you. And normally, in most cases, do something that you wouldn't want to do to get them to like you. Or three, step away from the situation and relinquish any control of their opinion of you, knowing that their mind will not be changed by you. That's the third option, okay? Now let's kind of break it down. There are going to be some situations where you have the ability to explain yourself, but there's also going to be situations where you should not explain yourself. And when you are dealing with someone who is a manipulator, a bully, a narcissist, a toxic partner, they're not there to understand you. And you always have to ask yourself, every time you have an argument, a fight, whatever it is with anyone, you always have to ask yourself, what does this person want to get out of this? What are they trying to get out of this? Based on what they're saying, based on their actions, what do I think their goal is? Do they want me to bow down to them or are they seeking to understand me? Are they seeking to listen to what I have to say to come to a conclusion, to come to a solution? Because in most of these cases where someone's thinking the worst of you, and also, if they're thinking that that badly of you, why are they even with you? If you're that bad, why aren't they walking away? Do you know what I mean? So it's this idea of if they truly are thinking the worst of you and not wanting to listen to what you have to say, but it's accusation after accusation, then you don't really have a space to be able to explain yourself. And you actually shouldn't be wasting your time explaining yourself because it's going to be very, very intense on your own peace of mind. It's very damaging for your mental health trying to explain yourself to someone who is refusing to listen. It's a bit, it's a little bit gaslightery in the sense of they're happy to accuse you of everything they want because it's from their opinion and their point of view and you're there scrambling trying to explain yourself on something that you don't even agree with. It's really hard to explain yourself and explain something that they're accusing you of when you don't believe that you've done that or you don't believe that you are that kind of person. How do you do it? They're dating you. It's not like you have to explain who you are. They should know who you are. So if they're pulling these accusations out of their ass, it's kind of impossible to get them to see it any other way. And then in gen- ask yourself general questions about your relationship with that person. Does this person normally seek to understand or do they seek to be heard at all times? Do they often misinterpret what I say 
to suit their agenda. Um, does this person struggle admitting that they are wrong or that they did something wrong? Because if, the, if, if that's the case, then you kind of know that it's a dead-end road here and the only way for this thing to be quote-unquote mended is if you pretend to be something that you're not. Sometimes you will lose yourself trying to explain yourself to someone who is not seeking to understand you, who is not willing to be at the table with you at this discussion. They just want to accuse. They just want to gain something and they're always looking to gain something. If you're trying to explain yourself and this person doesn't want a resolution, like they keep repeating the same thing again and again, or but you did this, but you said that, but you're like this, then you've got to kind of ask yourself, what does this person want? If they don't want a resolution, what do they want? And the answer is never going to be good and you never want to be with someone like that. Why, why are you trying to get someone who doesn't want to resolve something, who doesn't want a resolution, why are you trying to get them on your side? As painful as it is, this is a huge red flag and a huge indicator to walk away. Because if they don't want a resolution, nothing you do or say will change their mind. Nothing is going to make them actually view you any differently. Because I reckon that they actually either are an idiot and they believe all these things about you and are choosing to stay for no good reason, even though they're the accuser and they're the ones that's so unhappy, or they know what's going on and they're using this to manipulate you. So why change their mind if this tactic is working for them? That would be ridiculous. Why be nice if being mean gets you so much more in their head? Obviously, that's not how I feel, but that's what they're thinking. What's more important to you? Staying in this situation with a toxic person who might start thinking a little bit better than you, maybe, or your inner peace, your independence, higher levels of self-love. What's, what is more important? You can't have both. You cannot have inner peace by going against what you know is true and bowing down to someone, asking for forgiveness when they are telling a lie. You cannot have inner peace. They don't exist concurrently. You can only have inner peace when you respect yourself. And when you stay and when someone's accusing you and when you cop that accusation and you know it's not true just to get them to like you, you are not respecting yourself. Your self-esteem goes down. Your self-love goes down. It is not acceptable. And please let me reiterate again for like the fourth time, this is not a scenario where you've actually done something wrong, okay? I've already covered that. I'm not saying be a wanker, do whatever you want, and now that, that person's toxic. No. If we're talking about a gray area where they're seeing something one way, you're seeing something the other way, you're trying to discuss it and they don't want to bar of it. That is what I'm talking about. And that is what you need to walk away from. When you are being manipulated against what you think is right or what you think you are, there is inner turmoil. And that inner turmoil will not go away. So there's going to be turmoil in your head. You're going to see it. There's tur- you, it there's, it's shit both ways, right? You're thinking, I can't walk away because they're going to think the worst of me. But at least you have gained some self-respect. But if you stay, you're like, at least I'm not abandoned. At least we've stayed together. At least they think well of me. But the only reason they thought well of me is because I had to say or do something or beg for them back or kind of bow down to them. So that's inner turmoil. The the self-respect is not there in the second option. In the first option, the self-respect is there. And the ironic thing is that what this person is thinking of you is in part an act. Like I said, if they truly thought the worst of you, why are they interacting with you? It's an act. 
it's to get something and you've got to figure out what that is. But I can tell you right now, it's not a peaceful, loving relationship. That's not what they're trying to get to. Is peace your priority? Is mental health your priority? I can tell you all this pain of someone thinking the worst of you will fade, especially if that person's not meant to be in your life. They're going to go their own way, think what they want to think. That pain, that initial stress of what they're going to think and what information they're going to spread will fade. But what stays in your mind and what you choose to entertain won't fade unless you actively change that. So you need to be more selective with what you feed your mind and what you make a priority. And you staying with someone and pretending to be someone that you're not and apologizing for something that you know you don't have to apologize for is poisoning your mind, your self-talk, your self-love, your respect for yourself, okay? What is more important, someone's opinion of you or you? And ask yourself that again and again and again. Walking away at the height at the, at the height. At the peak of someone thinking the worst of you is a skill. Walking away without explaining or defending yourself for the hundredth time is a skill. It is this exact action though that you've got to fucking prep for and and practice because the first time you might end up going back and whatever. But this is the exact skill that's going to make you gain some self-respect. It's a direct way of saying to yourself, I respect you enough to walk away regardless of what's going on in the external. You're saying, I'm going to put myself first above this person's opinion of me. It's hard, but once it's done, you've made a statement to yourself and your confidence goes up, your self-esteem goes up, your happiness goes up. Not in the moment, but long-term, big time, your happiness goes up. We get so wrapped up in the moment. We think that it's life or death. We think that this single moment is the most important thing right now in your life. And you're just so worried and, and, and you just magnify it when you're in the moment. You need to have a cooling off period. A cooling off period is your fucking friend. You need to step away and cool off. This is what's going to give you perspective. The more distance you put, physical distance, distance with time, distance with experiences, as in they're not the last person you spoke to in this argument, the more level-headed you're going to be. Never make a decision when you're in this crazy heated moment. Never do that. Because often that's where you cave, that's when you say things, that's when you apologize for something you shouldn't have apologized for. Or if you're someone who's more of an attacker, that's when you're going to say hurtful things to the other person that you wish you didn't say. You always have to ask for some cooling off time. Now, if this person doesn't allow cooling off time and demands that you resolve it in the moment, is because this person understands something about you. They understand that they can get something from you when you are under duress, which means basically when you are under coercion, when you are under threat, when you are under psychological pressure. Somebody that does not let you have a cooling off period when you're having an argument knows that they can manipulate you when you are under psychological pressure. There is no other way for it. There is no other reason. Never, ever, ever allow someone to force you to stay in an argument if you need to cool off, if you know that you perform better and that you are better at at grouping your thoughts when you are calm. If you're trying to walk away and they say no, fucking red flag, they can get fucked. Fucking peace and blessings, cunt, goodbye. What happens in these situations is that they get you so heated, you are trapped, they don't let you leave, and then you say something hateful, you say something mean, you kind of snap, right? And then they're like, ha, ah, see, you're proving me right. See, you are nasty. See, they get you to crack. It's like those police interrogations where they push you and push you and push you. That's not fair. And that's actual like psychological abuse. People can't do that to you. Okay. So if that's what's happening and you know, you're going to snap, fucking walk away. 
And if they say no, then it's more reason to walk away. It's not more reason to stay. It's more reason to be like, this is exactly the kind of shit I don't need to be putting myself through. Now, be clear that when you do walk away, even if it's for a short temporary thing or whether it's like I have to leave this relationship or I have to walk away, they will throw this in your face. Like no matter how much they do wrong, they'll be able to turn it around and say, yeah, but you walked away. You are responsible for the relationship breaking down. They'll use phrases like at least I never left. You're the one that left. And like this is on a fucking tangent and I was watching Maths, Married at First Sight, um, and mind you, don't for a second think that I believe anything that goes on in maths is real and that I believe these interactions, which are spurred on by producers whose job it is to make money and drama are real. But I was watching maths and it just shows for a good example of what actually occurs in real life situations, okay? What had happened is that there was this couple, they were on a honeymoon, the man felt really uncomfortable with what was being said to him and it got to a point where he was like, I'm not resolving anything, I'm feeling really uncomfortable, I'm feeling quite hurt, I'm going to leave the honeymoon. So he leaves the honeymoon to regroup and whatever. Then he reaches out to her being like, I'd really like to discuss, Can we, after the honeymoon was over, can we talk, can we you know, discuss this? And in the argument, the only thing this woman was saying was like, yeah, but you left. Yeah, but you left. Yeah, but you left. And she and he kept saying, yeah, like, I understand I did that. These are my reasons. I, you know, in hindsight, maybe we could have resolved it a different way. So he's really being vulnerable, talking about his vulnerability, that he's coming to the table. And every time he'd do this really open, vulnerable explanation, she'd shut him down saying, yeah, but you left. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I totally get that there could be a lot of editing involved and there's no hate on either person. Like, they're basically actors because these shows are fucked. But... I've seen this in real life and I've also experienced this firsthand. I'm just saying that that scene is a great example of what actually does occur in reality and what has occurred to me in the past where you're there really opening up saying, yeah, I was in the wrong in that and I'll eat that. But this is kind of what was going on for me. And then they'll turn around and be like, yeah, but you left. It's like, cunt, did you hear anything I just said? I'm trying to get to the, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this. I'm being vulnerable. I'm admitting to certain things, but I'm also not going to bow down and give you everything you want. I'm trying to talk about it. That is typical, typical, typical of these toxic situations where they'll take one action that you did when you were at the height of your anger or frustration or whatever, and that they're going to paint every situation with that one thing. That's the ammunition that they need, and they'll replay it and replay it and replay it. Whereas here you are pulling all these different examples and times and things and blah, blah, blah. blah. No, again, again, again. And if you leave or walk away, they're going to throw that in your face time and time again. And if you're in one of those situations of in a relationship where you break up, get back together, break up, get back together, in that time of getting back together, and I've got a very close friend of mine and she was in this situation, in that time of getting back together, she had been the one to end the relationship initially, but her partner was the one that was prodding and prodding and prodding and just making it almost impossible for the relationship to continue. So she ultimately pulled the plug, but the relationship was a mutual, it was ending kind of thing. But then... When they regained conversation, started talking about things again, her partner kept coming back at her being like, you're the one that left. You broke up with me. You're the one that dumped me. Sometimes people are going to prod you, prod you, prod you until you pull the pin, knowing that it's not going to be long-term. They know that you're eventually going to come crawling back. And then they're like, yes, I've struck gold because now I can throw it back in your face that you truly don't actually care because at least I stayed. That's a huge red flag. And you don't have time for that shit. Like, turn the tables around. If I had a partner who walked away from the relationship and then comes back, it's up to me. 
if I want to entertain that relationship again or not, right? Or what? It's ultimately up to both of us. But if they're coming back saying, let's, let's do this again. My main concern would be like, why did this break down in the first place? Let's mend this. There were issues obviously on both ends. Let, let's mend this. The last thing I would want to do is you abandoned me. Now I'm going to punish you. What kind of relationship is that? Do you, do, you've got to real that is not conducive to an actual healthy, loving relationship. This is a controlling, controller, submissive kind of relationship. It's not a loving relationship. It is purely, you are my possession. I now will punish you so you can then do what I want you to do. None of that is ideal. And if you're in that situation, I hate to break it to you. Well, I actually love to break it to you. You're in a fucking toxic relationship and you need to bounce. You need to understand in basically in summary that you can never change somebody's mind. There's nothing you can do. And in these situations, you have to walk away knowing that they are going to think poorly of you. The more you try and explain yourself, the more they're going to get you in your weak spots and get you to stay. Less is more in this situation. Less is fucking more. You need to just leave it dead. Allow it to fucking die, right? Like, fucking cut your losses or quit while you're still ahead or whatever you want to call it, but know in your mind, don't, don't trick yourself. Know for a fact that they're going to think poorly of you and they're going to think lies of you and convince themselves that it's true. Like these people will genuinely start believing it at some point that what they're telling themselves is true about you. And you have to acknowledge that, accept it and still continue to walk away. Okay, you're going to realize that the height and the intensity of that dreaded feeling of someone hating on you or spreading rumors is pretty short lived in the scheme of things. It's not going to last long. You just have to rip the fucking band aid and you've got to breathe through those first few days. Okay, the stronger your relationships are outside of this dynamic, the quicker you're going to get over that intense feeling of someone not liking you. Often when you're in a toxic situation, another manipulation tactic that they use is isolation. Of course, for this exact reason. So then you stay with them because even though you know it's terrible, they can't fathom you not them not liking you or you not liking them or whatever. They can't fathom that idea. So that way you stay. They turn it around. So no matter what they do, this is, and I've got this in my narcissist and toxic relationships thing. It's this isolation tactic. So what I recommend you do is always ensure, and if you're thinking about leaving a relationship, get fucking in touch with your inner circle, have them there for you, whether it's what, whoever the fuck it is, your inner circle. Okay. You've got to be in touch with them. And the moment this relationship ends, you need them there for you the stronger, the more secure and healthy the relationships are outside of this, the less it's going to affect you. You will get to a point where when people believe something that's not true of you, you just think, well, that is your opinion. So congratulations and au revoir. That is literally how you feel. You get to that point where you're like, yeah, it sucks, but there's nothing I can do about it. If my actions haven't demonstrated enough about me, then my words certainly won't, okay? Actions, actions, actions. And you just look at how you acted. And if you're happy with how you acted, then you absolutely don't need to say shit, okay? If you're unhappy with how you acted, that's a different story. And we're not talking about a toxic relationship here. We're talking about you dealing with the consequences of your poor actions, okay? Guys, in summary, let's summarize the whole thing. Firstly, explain yourself when you can and only apologize when appropriate, as in when you see that you've done something wrong. If mending is not a two-way conversation, um, then you need to create some distance and space between you and that person. If you're the one trying to mend it and they're just trying to accuse, step away. If the attacks are coming in thick and fast, this is your cue to walk away and not fight harder. 
if they're then accusing you of abandoning it and if you leave now, you're never coming back, fucking leave now and never come back. You've got to give yourself distance to see the situation with fresh eyes so you can identify manipulative or unhealthy behavior that was not serving you because it's hard to see it when you're in the thick of it. Um, you don't have to agree with them and they don't have to agree with you. It's okay for, for someone to think poorly of you. You cannot control that and it's fine. And know that you will feel so much better when there's been distance and when you've spoken to other people. You need to talk about, talk, 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 talk. You don't want the last person you spoke to being them. You don't want the last conversation you had that argue, to be that argument that you had. You need to quickly start getting shit off your chest and talk, talk, talk and make other people bored of your own fucking story so that way you can start to analyse it and you start getting frustrated and annoyed and that's a much more powerful emotion than feeling defeated and feeling fearful, okay? And um, yeah, lastly, fucking always remind yourself short-term pain, long-term gain in this kind of situation. You have to eat those few first days of feeling that pit in your stomach in order to feel long-term self-love, confidence, self-respect, okay? Short-term gain where you give them what you want in that moment because you're fearful of losing them, is going to equal a lot of pain in the long term for you because you're going to repeat this cycle again and again or they or you as a couple are going to be repeating that cycle again and again and again. Guys, I hope that that podcast was helpful. Please fucking send this to someone who you think might need it if they are in a situation that you know is not serving them. Um, and yes, I'm pretty excited about everything that's, yeah, my fucking – Half marathon really is what I'm talking about here. I've just been on a high all day long. But yeah, guys, please share the episode. You were honestly so amazing, my beans, for sharing this podcast, spreading the word. It has just gone to so many places around the world and it's all because of word of mouth. It's all because of you and believing in what I talk about and what I do and all of that. So love our community so much. You guys are amazing. And if you want to keep conversations going about anything, just jump on the Facebook group and ask some questions, start some conversations. You guys are awesome also at responding to everyone's comments there, sharing advice, sharing love, sharing support. It's just such a great vibe on that Facebook page. If you are not yet a member, just jump on it. It is um, Do You Fucking Mind with Alexis Fernandez. So get on it. Guys, as usual, love you so much. And as always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.